0: We'll now turn to God's holy word, and we'll read together from the book of Exodus, chapter 34, the first 14 verses. To read these verses. The context is one in which earlier the Lord God had given to Moses the Ten Commandments on two tablets of stone when Moses went up on the mountain. When Moses came back down, he found that the people had built a golden calf, they were, were which they were worshipping, they were having a festival with the calf, and Moses in his anger had smashed the, the, the two tablets of stone. And so God commands Moses to, uh, again, make new tablets, chisels the, the commandments into those tablets, and after Moses had completed that, the Lord God appears to Moses. And so we want to listen to Mo- this afternoon to what, what the Lord God says to Moses as he appears before him. So begin in verse 1, and the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I'll write on these tablets uh, the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. And then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And then he said, if, I, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, that my lord i pray go among us even though we are a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance and he said behold i make a covenant before all your people i will do marvelous i will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the lord For it is an awesome thing that I will do with them. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest there be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars Break their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images, for you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. So far from Exodus. Let's turn to Psalm 115. Psalm 115 will be our text for this afternoon. psalm 115 the psalmist writes not unto us O lord and not unto us but to your name give glory because of your mercy because of your truth why should the gentiles say so where is their god but our god is in heaven he does whatever he pleases Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throats. Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and for evermore. Praise the Lord. congregation of our Lord in Jesus Christ. When you come to the end of one year and you come to the beginning of a, a new year, it is very natural for us to, to look back at what's happened and to look forward to what we hope may happen. And so we, we look back and we remember the many things in the past year And we look forward and we wonder, what does the future, what does it really hold for us? You look back, you look back with thankfulness for the many blessings the Lord has given to you. But you may also think back and you may remember the many disappointments, the troubles and the sorrows of the past year. The reality is is that life has its ups and it has its downs. We have, there are those low points and there are the the high points. We have joys and there are disappointments in our lives. And those very things that we experience will also impact the way that we even think about the new year. The the disappointments of the past year may mean that we look to the new year with anxiety. We worry about how things are going to go. Or we think about the past year and remember, all how good this past year was and all the wonderful things that happened, and we may expect that that is just going to continue on into the new year. So the question is, how do we put the events in our life? How do we put those events into the proper perspective? Or maybe ask it differently. How do we make sense out of our lives each day again? You see, that's really what mankind is struggling with every, every day. It's really a human thing to try to make sense out of this life, especially because there's so much that happens in this world that seems to be so senseless. How do you today, how do you make sense out of a senseless war, such as what's going on in the, in the Ukraine, where a neighboring nation attacks, wants to take over another nation. How do it make sense out of rising crime and violence in our society in a time where people talk uh, about being tolerant of one another and talk about loving one another, and yet crime and violence just increases instead? How do you make sense out of inflation that erodes our ability to, uh, to pay for the necessities of life or even for young couples to, to be able to, to own a home and to have their own home? Now, when we look back at the uncertainties of, of the past year, how do we now look forward to the new year, 2023? <clears throat> do we just look to the future with hope against hope that things are going to get better this year? Do we just hope that it's going to be a better year than we had last year, if we had a bad year? Or that if we had a good year, that we're going to have good things happen also again in this new year? You see, from a human perspective, mankind really doesn't have any answers for what's going to happen. You know, our political leaders, they make all these promises about how they will make things better. We hear all these promises of how mankind is going to build a better world. And yet the reality is that many of the solutions that are being proposed often only make matters even worse. And you may wonder, so so why is it that things don't get better in this world? Well, beloved, the answer is Human beings are finite beings. And as finite beings, we're limited in the strength that we have and the things that we can actually accomplish and do. We're limited in in our wisdom. We're limited in our understanding of what really is the source of problems and what are the solutions that will really fix those issues in our lives. You see, human logic that is darkened by sin is nothing but foolish. And as much as man thinks he is wise... Yet in his arrogance, he doesn't understand how little he really, really knows. As Christian believers, the Lord gives to us a whole new perspective upon our life. And it's because of, what the Lord, because of that new perspective the Lord gives us that we now also can have a confidence for the future. And we have confidence for this new year, not because we now think that things are going to be better in this world and that God will make everything better over the next year. But we're confident because we believe with our whole heart that the Lord God is the sovereign, the sovereign one who rules over the whole earth and rules also over our lives. Our greatest joy, beloved, is to know that this world is not just drifting aimlessly from year to year know that our God is directing all things towards His glorious purpose. The greatest joy is to know that everything rests in the hands of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God. That's why we are able to then also endure the ups and the downs, the joys and the disappointments of this life. Because we trust. We trust that the Lord, our God, is with us and that He will indeed, He will bless us. Everything here in this world and everything in our lives we know by faith must serve for the glory of the name of our God. Faith means, beloved, that we trust with our, that our whole life rests in the hands of the living God. By faith I know that I'm not just drifting, that I did not just drift through 2022 and would not just be drifting uh, through aimlessly through the year 2023 no here in this new year we will give our life in the service in the service of the lord our god and through our lives the lord will be praised and he will also receive the glory that he deserves and so this afternoon we'll listen to god's word under this theme hallelujah trust the lord for he is our shield or help and shield so our theme hallelujah trust the lord for he is our help and and shield under that theme we'll look at four things first of all we'll look at God's glory and secondly our trust thirdly God's blessings and in the fourth place our praise the issue here in this psalm is really about how do we as God's people how do we navigate through this life do you face do you attempt to to face the challenges of this life in your own strength and wisdom Do you let earthly things become the idols, the gods that you use in order to try to make your life work? Or or do you trust the Lord God in heaven as the God who will protect you and who will direct you? you The heart of this psalm is found in the verses 9 through 11, where the psalmist commands us to trust in the Lord our God commands us to to look to the Lord God for everything that we have in our life. For while we are, as human beings, while we are powerless, yet the living God is powerful, powerful to be able to do all things. And so what does he do? The psalmist commands us, he says, put the trust in the Lord your God. Why? Because the Lord is worthy of all honor. Notice how the psalmist begins. It begins, not to us, Lord, not to us but to your name be the glory. And so at the very beginning of the psalm, the psalmist sets the mood. He does so by declaring that only God is worthy of glory. Not us. Not us, human beings. We, the psalmist says, are not worthy of glory, but you, you, Lord, you alone are worthy of glory. As you read those opening words, immediately we understand that our relationship with God is one in which we, as human beings, we may never take any glory for ourselves, but that all the glory belongs to the Lord our God. And so you read these words of verse 1 of the Psalm. It should remind us then also of the Lord's appearance to Moses in Exodus in chapter 34, verse 6, which we read together, after Moses has chiseled out the, the Ten Commandments into the stone tablets, God comes to, to Moses on the mountain, and He passes before Moses, and He proclaims to Moses, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now you notice that the word Lord in our text but also in Exodus 34 is spelled with all capital letters. And whenever you see Lord spelled in all capital letters in your Bible in your English, in your English Bibles you know that it translates the name by which God revealed himself to the people of Israel as their God. In the Hebrew it would be Yahweh. And by, and by repeating his name twice the Lord reveals how great and how holy his name really is. What is mankind in comparison to the Almighty God? Right? When we look at ourselves human beings, we, we are just so 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 tiny. We're we're so so small compared to his greatness. The reason that we give glory to the Lord is because the psalmist says, because of God's love and because of God's faithfulness. And so, yes, we can say, on the one hand, God is infinitely greater. He's more powerful than, than we are because we're just weak human beings. But the psalmist says more than that, that: the fact that God is just much greater than we are. No, the psalmist says, but the Lord God who is great is the Lord who comes to his people, Israel. And he's the God who says to his people, I am the Lord your God, and I have made you my own people, The holy God lives in the heavens. The God who comes to his people. Why? Because, the psalmist says, because of his love for them. The Hebrew in the original here uses a word that is often connected to God's covenant love. What he says here is that God entered into a relationship with his people Israel. And why did God enter into that relationship with Israel? Is it because they deserved his love? No. They're no better than any other peoples in the world. They're not better than other nations. Oh, the reason God God came with His love because He saw their miserable situation. And what did God do? God took compassion upon His people Israel when He saw them there in, in Egypt. And He loved them. Loved them with His whole heart. Beloved, that is the incredible message that God gives in His Holy Word. Sometimes this word is also translated as steadfast love. It means that when when God reveals His love to us, God's love is not a fickle love. God's love is not here one moment and it's gone the next. No, God's love is steadfast and it is never wavering. And while so often we as God, we can become unfaithful to the Lord our God. Yet the Lord, the Lord always remains faithful, beloved. Remember all those occasions when the people of Israel, they rebelled against the Lord God and they turned away from their Lord? What did God do? Did God destroy His people? No. Even when he threatened and then Moses interceded, God didn't destroy his people. No, the Lord continues to call his people to himself. Oh yes, the Lord God becomes angry with his children many occasions when they spurn his love. There are many times he also chastised them when he punished them. But when his children, when his people turn back again, the Lord God receives them back in his love and embrace. Oh, beloved, we do not deserve any glory. Anything that you and I are able to achieve in our life is only a result of God's faithfulness to us. The people of Israel experienced the wonderful love and that faithfulness of the Lord their God. He's the God who protected them from their enemies. Remember, He's the one who, who delivered them out of Egypt when they were doomed to, to eternal death and destruction. He's the God who provided for them as they were going through the wilderness where there was no water and where there was no food and He provided abundantly. He is the God who gave them the promise of the land of Canaan and He destroyed those mighty nations there in that land. And there in the land it's the Lord God who blessed them so wonderfully. So why, the psalmist asks, Why do the nations, why do the peoples of the nations say, where is their God that is the God of Israel? We know the the heathen nations, the pagans, the unbelieving people, they they mock God's people. And they did that very long ago in the Old Testament. And you know that even still today, unbelievers, they will mock our God and they will mock our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the reason the song that begins Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. As God's people, we're not looking for our glory, but we want our Lord, we want our God to receive all the glory. We want all of mankind throughout the whole world to give all the glory to God because God alone is worthy of that. So, why? Why do the unbelieving, why do they even dare to mock the Lord our God? Perhaps, let me ask a little differently. Beloved, why is it that we as believers, why we often cringe because of their mocking? We want to hide our faith and we will sometimes sit in the corner and we we are quiet rather than acknowledging our faith in Jesus Christ. Look, the psalmist says, "Look, verse three. Our God is in heaven; He does whatever pleases Him. But their idols, their idols are silver and gold, made by human hands. Right? The unbelieving world they they mock gods, people, because they put their trust in Yahweh. But here the psalmist is, instead, what does he do? He turns it around and he mocks the gods of the unbelieving." And he asks, how do they dare to mock the God of Israel when their gods are idols made of silver and gold made with human hands? That's imagery, beloved, that you'll find more often uh, throughout the Old Testament. Here the psalmist mocks the idols that the people worship. Because he says, you know, here they are. They make these idols and they take great care and they give a lot of affection over the work that they're doing, making those idols. They give them mouths, but they, they cannot speak. They make beautiful eyes, but they're not able to see. They make these, these wonderful ears, but they're not able to hear. They make these noses that they cannot smell, and then they have hands that are not able to feel. Feet, feet that cannot even walk. They're not even able to utter a sound with their throats. Well, the psalmist, psalmist knows that these images that the people make are representations of their gods. But he also says this, he says their representations reveal that their gods are but the imaginations of people's own thoughts. In fact, he says this, he says those who make them will be like them and so will all who trust in them. Think about it. The pagans, the unbelievers, they, they, they make their gods. And how do they make their gods? They make their gods in their own image. Their gods always reflect mankind in the way they think, in the way they act. And yet you know that when you go to the beginning of, of the scriptures of the Bible in the first chapters of Genesis, what does God reveal there? God reveals that He created us in His image. But what mankind now does is he creates their gods in their own human image. Their gods reflect their own human desires. While the Lord God of heaven is in heaven, and there he does whatever pleases him. Right? So what does a man do? Man makes gods and idols to serve themselves, while the Lord God is the omnipotent God the God who has created heaven and earth that reflects His glory. Man's idols are created to to serve humans and to give humans what they want. But the Lord God is the Creator and He's served and He's worshipped by us as His creatures because we look up to Him as our Creator who does what He desires and what He wants. You understand, beloved, that your relationship with God is determined by how you think about the Lord God in your heart, in your mind. If you create God into your own image, you make God into the kind of God that, that you want for yourself, well, then you expect that the Lord your God is going to be, a God is going to serve you and give you what you want. Beloved, if you see God as your creator, then you will also recognize that He's completely independent from you and that therefore you will then also give to Him all the honor. You give to Him all the glory because He is greater than we are. Then it's no longer about what the Lord God can do for me, but what can I do to serve and to honor my God, my God who has created me in His image. Not my glory, but your glory, O Lord. And when you begin to see something of the glory of God, beloved, something happens into your life. Something happens there in your heart. And what happens is this. You begin to trust the Lord your God. What a contrast. The psalm makes here between those who trust the Lord God and those who trust the idols of the gods of the world. Those gods of the world, they're fickle gods. They're just as fickle, if not more fickle, than, than the people that they represent. People, they, they look to these gods to, to serve them, but their gods, their gods do not really care about them. No, they're gods. They, they're busy fulfilling their own needs. Just as human beings are busy fulfilling their own desires. And what are those idols? Well, idols, beloveds, are the things that you set your heart on. Those are the things that you expect are going to come and serve you and give you what you want and what you think that you need. And so idols can be indeed those statues that the people made long ago. But use of those statues also represented other things. Money represents power. Desire to be able to manipulate other people's lives in order to get what you want. It may be fame. You want everybody to look up to you and give you glory. Or it might be an addiction of some sort, whether it be alcohol or drugs or pornography or whatever it may be, to fill a need that you have in your heart. And so what is true about all these idols, beloved, is that we expect these things to satisfy a need that we have in our hearts. Idol worship in every one of its forms is always about how my idol can satisfy my desire and what I think I need. Trust them to trust our idols is to expect them to fulfill the very deepest needs of our life, the deepest needs of my soul. And the reality, beloved, is that they cannot. Therefore, the psalmist commands us to trust in the Lord. He says, "He speaks about three groups." He says, "All Israelites." Then he goes on. He says, "Also, House of Aaron." Aaron here re- represents the priests, the religious leaders of Israel. And the third group, he says, all who fear the Lord with their heart, you are to trust the Lord. Why? Because our God is in in heaven and does whatever pleases Him. You see, beloved, our greatest comfort is that we have a God who is completely independent from us and that we are utterly dependent upon Him for everything. No, we're not like the people of this world who are left to try to figure out on their own the way forward and as they worship and they serve a sea of fickle gods, maybe vengeful demons or magical forces that they, people are looking to to solve the issues in their lives. No, our God is a gracious God. Our God is a dependable God. He's a God who has revealed to us his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Remember that phrase in verse 3? In verse it's a little bit different in your King James Version, but basically it says here, He does whatever, or actually it says there, he does whatever pleases him. I believe that's the same. In the first place, God is independent. God is independent of us human beings. God decides for himself everything that he will do. You see, God isn't God who goes and takes a pole. And then he questions mankind and he says, Well, what do you want? And then after you determine what we want, then he gives it to us. That's not how God operates, beloved. That's how we want God to operate, and that's how mankind wants, wants God to operate. No, the Lord God is a God who determines himself what we need. Because God alone knows what we truly need. And so God doesn't come to fulfill all our desires. Beloved, he gives us what we need in our lives. When God makes those decisions for us, it's also important to understand that God is not an arbitrary God. A God who seeks his own pleasure. Remember verse 1? Verse 1 says that God, speaks about God's steadfast love and God's faithfulness. That means, beloved, that God's love is a sacrificial love. God gives Himself to fallen humanity. He gives Himself to those who have turned against Him and who hate Him with their whole hearts. God didn't come to us because He needed anything from us. You know, God in the beginning, He could have just let us all perish in our misery and, dist- and allowed His creation to, to be completely destroyed. God would have been perfectly good, and, and God would have survived if, his, if He had allowed His creation to, to perish. God didn't need His creation, He didn't need us. But instead, what did God do? God saw what happened to us human creatures when we fell into sin. Instead, what happened was when God saw us, God's heart went out to us in compassion. God saw that our greatest need was to be rescued from the very idols of our own heart. He saw that we had become as dead as the idols we serve are dead. And when you experience that love of God in your life, beloved, that love of God is a love that will change your life forever. It is only through through God that we can even begin to understand what love is. Remember John says, because God first loved, we now love one another. Let me use a human analogy to try to help us understand what's happening in our relationship with God. When we use human analogy, we realize there are many weaknesses to that, but it's also helpful sometimes just to, to wrap our mind around what's really happening. You know, when a young man and a young boy, a young girl, uh, they begin to have a relationship and they they, they love each other, comes a point where they desire to, to be married. And why do they want to get married? Well, they want to get married because they've experienced the love of their partner. And they want to be able to live the rest of their life in the love of their spouse. And that love in a young couple is indeed... Sacrificial love in which they desire to serve their spouse, because their whole heart goes uh, to the one that they love. But you know what happens sometimes, it happens often enough when after you get married, uh, there comes a point where it's often the relationship turns sour. And then you can wonder well, so what happened? Well, what happens is this, beloved, is that that love for each other has now turned into self love. When a marriage goes wrong, It is because one or both spouses are now looking out only for their own needs. And you know that no relationship, no relationship can survive when our attention is turned inward and towards ourselves and we become selfish in our desires. But when God comes and when God enters into a relationship with you, beloved, His love is a steadfast love. That is, His love is always faithful. That's the very reason why we are able to trust the Lord God with our whole heart. We believe that He will always love us. And we know that God's love will never turn into self-love, a love in which He cares more about Himself than He does about us. But when we turn our hearts to idolatry, beloved, then we no longer desire to serve the Lord. We no longer trust God. We want God to serve my sinful desires. This all becomes about me and not about my God. And then you can also understand here the reason why the world, why the people of the world today, why they accuse Christians of being the most hateful people on the face of the earth. Why? Because we, we insist that our only hope rests in the Lord our God because He loves us with His whole being. And if, God loves, and if God loves me enough to pay for all of my sins and to give to me a glorious hope of the, for the future, then my response is to love the Lord God with my whole heart. That's the only response that is appropriate. But if I turn to self-love, in, in which my desires and my wants become the most important thing in my life, the result is that I will hate the Lord God and I will hate Him with a passion. You see, beloved, what happens is if my whole life is wrapped up in my own desires and my own wants, then God's love will feel oppressive. It, becomes, it will feel oppressive to you. Because how can I trust God how can I trust God when in my heart I want something different from what God has given me? You just can't. On the other hand, if I, when, when, when we then recognize that God sees my deepest needs, and when He sees my deepest needs, then I believe that He will always be there as my help and as my shield. If I know that God knows my, the, the deepest needs that I have, even though I may not always I recognize what those needs are, yet yeah, I'm comforted. And I experience this relief because I know that my God will be there for me. I know that my God will also give me what I truly need, even if I don't always understand what my needs are, really are. I trust that He's there for me. And so the heathen, the unbeliever, they may mock the Lord my God, but here in my heart I rejoice. I rejoice that the Lord is my help and that He is my shield. I trust that my life is safe. It is secure in the hands of my God. I don't need to worry about my life. I don't need to worry about the things that sometimes I set my heart on. Because it's enough to know that my God is faithful. And that He's steadfast in his love. And therefore, I am confident that my God will indeed also bless me. Verse 12, psalmist says, the Lord remembers us and will bless us. You know that in the history of the people of Israel, there are many times when God withdrew his blessings from the people because of their disobedience. And when that happened, there was usually a certain point in in the life of Israel when when the people, uh, they recognized what they had done and, and they turned back to the Lord God and they cry out to the Lord God and they say, God, remember us. To remember us is a call for the Lord God to turn His attention back to His people. And the only time that God turns away from us, beloved, is when we reject His love for us in Christ Jesus. The greatest comfort is that when we cry out to the Lord God in faith, yes, the Lord remembers us. And in His love, He will bless us. And Blessings are always related to God's promises. When God gives to you a blessing, He has given to you a promise. A promise that He will give to you that which you need. You know, we look back on the past year and now we look forward to the new year. We can see the blessings that God has given to us in the past and we now look forward to His blessings also in this new year. Beloved, when we talk about God's blessings God's blessings should never be confused with what's so many are preaching today is what we may call the prosperity gospel. That God blesses you will make you rich and he'll give you everything you want. No, when we say that God will bless us in the new year, God does not promise you, beloved, that He's going to make you rich. He doesn't promise you He's going to make you He's going to give you lots of money. He doesn't promise you that He will give you everything that you want in your heart. In fact, watch out what you want or what you pray for. Because if God were to give you all the things that you want in your heart, then more often than not, it would simply become a curse to you. Because those are the very things that will pull you away from what is truly important to you in your relationship with the Lord. What we need to understand here is that when God gives His blessing, His blessings are always connected to the covenant promises that He gives to us. Notice verse 14. Verse 14 says that the blessing is connected to God causing you to flourish both you and your children. When you reflect on those words you realize that the psalmist is thinking back to the blessings that God gave to Eve in the very beginning. When he says to Eve I will give you a a, a child and he will be your redeemer. Or when God comes to Abraham and he gives Abraham this promise, Abram, you will have many children, as many as the stars in the sky. It was a promise that he would give him a seed who would save him. Or the promise that he gives to to David, when he says to David, David, I'll give you his son and he will sit on your throne forever. And so the point here is, is not that God simply says, I'll give you many children, as if children itself is what is the blessing. But the promise of the children, beloved, is the promise of God that He will send to us the Savior. To be blessed by God, then, is not to become rich. It's not to have everything that you want in this life. But to be truly blessed means that we become rich in Christ Jesus, that we may live in the security and the love of the Lord our God. That I may know with certainty that He is my God and that I am His child. And that I am secure in His everlasting love and faithfulness. If God remembers me and if God is faithful to me for the sake of His Son, Jesus Christ, then I know, I know that He will bless me also in this new year. Oh, He may not give me everything that, that I want and that maybe I have prayed even for but I may be sure of this, that he will give me everything that I need, that I may serve him as his child. And so he may not make you rich in earthly terms, but beloved, he will make you rich in spiritual terms. When he gives you your food and your daily drink, then you'll learn to be grateful, and you, because you remember you know, the whole earth, the whole earth is mine. I don't need to long for earthly and material riches. For with Christ I now have this great inheritance that awaits me here in the kingdom of God. Beloved, may we also in this new year, may you indeed, may your life flourish in the love of the Lord, your God. So that at the end of one year, in the beginning of the new year, we may know together, we may praise the Lord our God. Verse 16 says that the heavens belong to the Lord. He is seated in power there over the universe in heaven. And he has given the earth, he has given the earth to us, to mankind. Right? He has given the earth as our possession. And what what are we to do here on this earth? Well, the psalmist says, this is what we're called to do. We're called to praise God who is in the heavens. So we here on this earth, we praise the Lord God in the heavens who has created us. And verse 17 says, he says, it's not the dead who praise the Lord. It's not those who go down to the place of silence, which is the grave. This text has often caused a lot of confusion because people look at it as as the psalmist is talking about what's going to happen to the soul after this life. Well, the reality is, beloved, when when you think of the book of Revelation... And there we see that when our soul dies, and then our soul goes to be with the Lord in heaven. And there we praise the Lord God, together with all the redeemed from the beginning uh, to to the present. And so the point isn't about what happens to the soul when we die. The point of the psalm is that our greatest joy and our greatest task here on this earth is that we may today, we may praise the Lord, our God. To praise God is, is to express our great joy and our adoration for the Almighty. So that over against the pagans and the unbelievers who mock God and who sarcastically ask where is their God while they worship their idols, idols that cannot give them life. Beloved as God's people that we may now joyfully express our complete and our utter confidence in the Lord our God. He is the Almighty who dwells there in the heavens. He is the Lord. He is the one who remembers us. Yes, He remembers us, for He is the one who has given to us His Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior. He is the one who will bless us all the days of our life, also in the new year, 2023. And therefore, we may begin this new year expressing our joy and our praise to the Lord our God. We may sing indeed, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Amen.